Welcome to the Making It Podcast. I'm your host, Kyler Miles, and on this show, we interview guests about their journey of making their dreams a reality. We talk about everything from self-awareness to building a confidence in yourself and to take action so that you can make your dreams a reality. Well, welcome to the Making It Podcast. I am your host, Kyler Miles, and today I have the wonderful and amazing Lindsay. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? How's the quarantine? Are you surviving? I am surviving quarantine. Um, last night we did, uh, I'm Jewish, so last night we did Passover, well, two nights in a row, Passover by virtual Zoom, which took a lot of explaining to anyone that's not a podcaster or a um, elementary school student, but, uh, but we did it and it went well. And um, yeah, I just have to manage to not kill anyone for the next however many, you know. Because Good luck with that. It's, uh, it's been tough. I went out and Starbucks does uh, drive through. So I got for the first time in maybe six weeks, got Starbucks and I'm just enjoying it so, so much. It's Oof. the small things that we take for granted, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, give the listeners um, a little intro on who you are, what you're all about, how we got connected and um, yeah, we'll take it from there. I think we used to date, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's where I recognize it. <laughs> I think it was a one-night stand. You never called me. Or Tinder or whatever. Um, sorry. <laughs> I can't help it. Um, my name is Lindsay Weisner. I am a clinical psychologist currently accidentally specializing in suicidal teenagers. Um, I am also the – oh, so I have my doctorate, and then I did – some research in child and family development for the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health, um, which I think falls in with like the, the, you know, WHO and CDC and all the other things that are now becoming part of our daily vocab. Um, I did some research in child and family development, and then I also did some postdoc work uh, after I got my doctorate. And I recently, sadly, released a book books on happiness but uh the sadness was um the release date was march 20th the release party was march 18th and the u.s quarantine started the 15th so um oof punching i had a violin i could and i could play it i think it'd be yeah there you go well, my son plays the viola, not that we know, not that we know where it is at this point, but, um, you know, since school ended, but um, it's been a lifelong dream to, um, to be a writer. Mm. And I, oh, the book is called 10 Steps to Finding Happy. I can't remember if I said that, but you should buy it. Um, if you buy it, it will turn you invisible mm-hmm. um, and possibly give you Corona immunities. <laughs> um obviously disclaimer i'm lying yeah Um, but so i never thought i would write a self-help book and yet i did end up doing it finally that should be my making it moment Mm -hmm. um i also have uh, my own podcast i'm the host of the neurotic nourishment podcast and it's kind of smart sweary moms and non-moms talking about things that we don't we're not encouraged to talk about at cocktail parties, but that we should mm. all talk about, like racism and um, chauvinism and uh, 
things that make people uncomfortable, but that also make them educated. Mm -hmm. And then most recently, I accidentally got myself a blog on psychology today, and it's called The Venn Diagram Life. And that's pretty cool because uh, the summer before my senior year of college, I was an intern in New York City for Psychology Today, and I think I was pretty lousy at it. But here I am. You know, I love uh, you talk about accident, like you accidentally fell into this. Yeah. And I find that when I, now that I'm interviewing more guests, I hear that more often that, oh, I didn't even know this was something I'd be inter- interested in or passionate about. And how did that happen for you? Like, obviously accidental, but walk us through kind of what steps or what obstacles or opportunities came about so that you went down this path to ultimately writing this book which I hundred percent agree with because we focus way too much on money and status than instead of finding happiness. Um, but I, I'm, I'm curious about that kind of journey leading to that. And then maybe we can dive in into what the book really talks about in itself, but excuse sure. me. Yeah. So we say accident, but I also think of it as sort of like a serendipitous serendipity type thing. Um, we could also call them ghosts or spirits or like, uh, the shrink in me wants to call it some sort of unconscious learning, mm. uh, unconscious intellect that we don't pick up on at the time, but that our brain perceives. Mm. Um, so I have wanted to be a writer since I was seven. My first book, um, totally plagiarized. My main characters were Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy. So. <laughs> And it involved a tornado. It was probably a total ripoff. And I typed it on a typewriter and I was seven. And so this was like the early 80s-ish. And uh, needless to say, it was not a success. Uh, But when I, as I went on through school, I always knew I wanted to write, but I did not want to write what people told me to write, which sort of ruled me out as a school newspaper person in high school. Um, and then I wrote a little bit of poetry and short stories, but I also realized that poetry was just for angsty teens. And I just, I had a lot of reason to be angst, but I didn't angsty, but I didn't feel it. So I, um, I went into college where I couldn't get into the regular biology course because they were closed out. And then I had to take this other behavioral biology course, which basically turned out to be kind of like a mix between biology and psychology and social psychology. And it, the general gist is humans are just like animals. We do things to survive. Mm-hmm. Social psychology is based on this as is regular psychology. And I just happened to end up in this class because the other one was closed out. Mm-hmm. So um, I really liked psychology. So the following, and then the following year I transferred to Georgetown because I had a boyfriend that went to school around there. And so that apparently was reason enough for my parents to let me transfer, but also it was Georgetown, so fine. Um, And I took my first intro to psych course. I fell in love with the professor in a non-icky way. Um, And then really psychology and I took like three classes with him by the end of that that first year, my my, sophomore year. And I really decided, I was already gonna major in English because obviously I was gonna be a writer. Mm -hmm. A writer who didn't want to write what other people told them to, it made a lot of sense at the time. Mm -hmm. And so um, I I went to this professor 
really just to get the blessing of, of just to get his blessing. He was an amazing professor, mm-hmm. kind of a dickhead though. Like on our, my first test, I answered the question. It was like short answer and I answered it and then went on to say what the next step of the neurotransmitter process is because I was that obsessed with it. And he took off eight points for that. <laughs> oh, Which geez. was legitimately kind of a dick, but I wasn't smart enough to know it. Yeah. And I had my own family issues going on where I think I was just looking for some sort of approval for an adult which probably means it's good. I didn't end up sleeping with any older adults with a daddy complex, but did not. Um, so I went to this professor during office hours and I asked him a foolish question about a class and I was thinking about majoring. And what I really just wanted him to say was, I think you should major. You're really good at this mm-hmm. because I had done really well in all three of the classes. I was very cute then. I was blonde, big boobs, um, 19. We're all really cute at 19. Uh, he looks me up and down and just goes, don't bother majoring. You'll never do anything with it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just stood there shocked and then walked away. <clears throat> and as I started crying, because I'm a big baby, I walked downstairs and went to the registrar and um, you had to do this in person. It was a thing called a registrar back then. And I signed up to double major because fuck him. Like that, uh, that was not going to happen. And mm-hmm. I don't even know why he assured me that I was never going to do anything with it, except that now I do because 90% of psych majors never do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not like someone telling me what I could and could not do with the opportunities that I had created for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's cut. That's how I became a psych major. And then, wow. um, yeah. And then I was a psych English major and um, I ended up finding a mentor in the psych department who I liked a lot and he liked me and I told him what a dickhead the other teacher was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, something about that experience made me braver and I found my voice, I think in college really. And I was writing for the newspaper because that was what writers did. Um, and I was doing, uh, I ran, I did the entertainment I, I reviewed CDs and like, or cause like it was, you know, I reviewed like new music, which was kind oh. of dumb because I, I'm not a mu- like my dissertation was on music. I'm interested in music. It, it's, I'm very emotionally moved by music, but I am not a, um, I don't know. It's weird. Like I, I'm not a music person, but I guess I am. Like, like the same genres as everybody, maybe a different taste kind of thing or maybe, but it's not even like I'm cool enough to have like a unique genre. That's mine. Mm. You know, like mm. I like the set. I like the music that like from the sixties and seventies that my dad, you know, played. And I listened yeah. to. Right. Mm. Uh, the classics. One of the first things I taught my brother when he went to college is if someone asks you if you like a band and you've never heard of them, just tell them you only like the old stuff. I wish I knew that when I was younger. Right. That's good. Sorry. That's good. Um, I like that. We hooked up. You should, I should have told you. Um, so, uh, but I thought it was a good line and he said he tried it a lot and it works. Um, but I, I bet it would. Yeah. It totally does. Like think about it. Uh, everyone's old stuff is better. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know enough about music, like history to be writing mm-hmm. um, a music column, but I did it for a bit. And then finally, I decided to ask, what I really wanted to do was write my opinions, I realized. 
And so I went over to the editor and like all newspaper editors, he was dorky and like awkward and hadn't matured as, you know, as he should have. And um, I said to him, I remember blonde and big boobs. I was like, I want my own column. He said, well, what do you want to write about? I was like, stuff. And I don't think I gave him much better of an explanation for it, but somehow he agreed and then it did well. And then the next semester, the next newspaper guy who was the similar, just different, you know, um, promoted me to twice a week. And so for junior and senior year of college, I got this column where uh, twice a week, I got to write 800 words on whatever I wanted to. And it was an amazing experience and lots of things people hated. And I was like, okay, that, that's almost more powerful than people liking because when you like something, you don't complain about it and write into the letter to the editor and when you hate something you do mm. um so that was a fantastic experience and then it somehow solidified my faith that i should be a writer obviously so i went and applied to uh u.s news and world report it is was a magazine now i think it's just a rating system but um <laughs> I basically, I went because uh, there was a, a friend of a friend that said that there was a job opening and then was like, no, forget it. You don't want this job. And I was like, no, I really do. So I just graduated from Georgetown with a double major. It's a great school and surely I'll get this job. And I go for the interview and the woman's like, this doesn't require a high school diploma, you know? And, um, mm. but I was convinced that this was going to be my in. And so I was a, I, I called myself fax girl. Sometimes I imagine there was a cape involved. And I literally, there were faxes about beanie babies and bullshit that would come into the main office. And I would take those faxes and bring them to whatever, you know, writer, no doubt, just turned around through that shit in the trash. Um, I've never <laughs> successfully used a fax. I just... There's no reason to. There's literally no reason to. I mean, it was such a short window of time that the facts, you know, the facts yeah. world existed. And then, like, the PDFs took over, so you could just write on it. There was no reason for anyone to ever fax. Um, it, it was ridiculous. But I literally just walked around for, like, I think it was, like, eight hours, you know, minimum wage. Uh, mm -hmm. Try, You know, I, I sort of hobnobbed with the reporters and tried to get in and... Um, there was a copy editor job that I applied for once, but I didn't make it because grammar is not my strongest point. Um, although I've gotten better at it since studying for the copy editor position, but, um, all the while I stayed in touch with the awesome, uh, instructor at Georgetown. His name is professor crystal. I'm not sure if he's there or not, but I had stayed in touch with him and I would like visit with him like every so often and tell him about my horrible job. And so when there was an opening, uh, for a research assistant at the NIH, he, um, you know, nominated me and I got it. And then I, uh, spent two years working with other like-minded, uh, mostly women who had just graduated from college and were looking to go to, um, you know, graduate school. And then <clears throat> I, I guess that was what I wanted to do too. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. It was sort of this path of like, oh, that's yeah. what we do next? Okay, that's what we yeah. do. You know what I love about your story is like a lot of people 
since I've been documenting my journey of becoming this creative entrepreneur person, um, people have been reaching out to me asking, like, how, how did you do it? Like, how did you go from your, uh, your background where I was in sales, where I went to school and, and then I graduated, got the job, stayed at the job for five or six years and moved up. And, and how do you leave all that to do what you're doing now? And how did you do it within six to eight months? Yeah. And it's, it was the drive to um, find this happiness, find this like, and I think you have it. Like hearing your story, there's so many roadblocks. People looked oh, at yeah. you up and down and said, no way she can do that. And you said, you gave them the middle finger and you said, yep. fuck that. Like, I'm going to go do what I'm set out to do. And no matter what challenges that came your way, when I'm listening to your story, you just go the next hurdle, next, next, next. And so many people I find don't have that drive or maybe don't have that confidence in themselves. I'm not quite sure, you know, it could yeah. be a bit of both, but it's so cool and refreshing to hear that because, and, and I was like this too. I was very acceptance of people's opinions of me and became who I was, you know, it became like, Oh, they think I'm dumb. So I'm dumb. Like right. I'm not the smart guy. I'm going to be the funny guy or, okay, I'm not the funny guy. I'm the, you know, I let people's opinions of me make who I am instead of me expressing who I actually was, which is, I feel like I'm doing now for the first time. And right. I feel like that's so cool that the journey, no matter what roadblocks you, you just overcame them. And, and, you know, you might've in the moment been frustrated and upset and cried, but at the end of the day, you, you came here, you made it here for a reason because of, of that passion, that drive. I think it's actually sort of a defense mechanism because I won't say it's great self-esteem. Um, I mean, now I feel a little bit different, um, differently most of the time, although obviously we all have our moments, but um, I think it's mostly a defense mechanism um, from a couple of things. One is um, I found out almost a year ago as we were diagnosing one of my children with ADHD, I, I was looking at the form. I was like, I have ADHD. And I had spent my whole life being told I wasn't working up to my full potential by teachers, which I know is weird because of the doctor thing, but like, you know, um, and I felt like I was all the time. So I sort of figured out that what you think of me isn't necessarily true. And then I also have a mother who, through for her own messed up reasons, would sort of paint me in one way, and it wasn't necessarily the person that that I was. Like she would describe my actions as negative, and my um, brothers as more positive. Uh, most parents have a favorite. Most parents don't a little one of the children. But you know, I think I learned from these two things. Like I knew I was trying as hard as I can. Mm. And I knew that the things that were being said about me were not true. And so I got to say, um, probably at an early age, well, there were lots of tears and like, you know, driving around like 16, driving around and crying, just like sad songs on the radio. But then mm -hmm. at some point it became, you know what, I got to get over this or I'm never going to mm -hmm. get over this. Um, yeah. It's it's so sad to think how people's opinions of ourselves shape so much of our life. Sure. 
And it's for you, your, your, it could be your parents, um, could be so many people like you, like you said, you're talking about your teacher, this amazing teacher uh, that was a role model that you want to impress that was, you know, saw something in you that no one else would. And, and even though he might have been a dick, you know, he, in his own way, he might have uh, helped you, right? And it's, sort of. It's, well, remember there were two. There was the one who was the dick, and then there's the one that was the role model and put me, pushed me forward. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But yeah, I guess the dickhead helped me too because I used to um I am used to winning the second time around and not the first. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and mm-hmm. I think that's sort of good because it probably establishes resiliency. Mm-hmm. I think your entire story establishes that, right? Like how no matter how many times you're driving in that car you you're you made it here right and that's it that's a message i guess i'm trying to get across to a lot of our viewers and people that ask me questions like you know who don't know where to start or fearful to start or fearful to continue wherever stage they're at like it's a moment in time that might hurt but you can overcome it and and look at what you've done look at all that you've accomplished in, in yourself and education and and writing this book you, you you from a very young age you knew you want to be a writer and now you are now you're hitting some a couple of hiccups of course with oh, yeah. covid-19 <laughs> and, and man like it's it's but it, it just it shows so much to to who you are as a person and and I love that like I oh, thank you yeah i mean listen as you and i spoke about the um uh and i don't know how much you want me to get into it, but it's just a comical series of hiccups where, you know, I, um, before graduate school, I wrote a book and I started graduate school and my second day of graduate school was September 11th, like the September 11th. And Mm -hmm. I had been sending my manuscript out and I was talking to one small new imprint about, uh, you know, we'd gone through like the first three chapters, the 50 pages, the first half, whatever. And then of course, when the uh, World Trade Tower towers fell and you know we hit this huge economical slump uh you know they were like listen i'm sorry there's no way um and i you know i had jumped through all these hoops i thought it was there um and then after graduation i well i i um i had two children and then i had some uh well my mother-in-law died totally unexpectedly and then a childhood friend died and then my daughter fell and fractured and dislocated her humerus and um Mm. I had a my aunt went to prison and I was depressed and so Mm -hmm. a good part about depression if there is one is early wakings you tend to um you know uh, wake up early just uh your brain is too easily stimulated and so I started writing another book and Mm. I I wrote a book and um, it, I asked, I wrote, wrote a book. I was going to start shopping around agents. And then there was a, um, my aunt in prison had requested Cosmo magazine. And so I sent her a copy and then while I, or I sent it and while I was ordering it, they were like, for five extra dollars, you get, you know, fine. Sure. I need more help giving blowjobs is always useful. What can I say, Cosmo, you know? <laughs> um, and so I ordered it and I happened to thought, stumble across this, advertisement for um the cosmo first ever fiction contest and i couldn't decide between one of two excerpts from my book and then i decided and i accidentally submitted the wrong one and (laughs) and then i won 
So, um, wow. yeah, and it was really weird when the woman called me, I thought she was, I have a friend whose mother is from, um, England and the woman was from Australia. And because I am stupid, I thought it was my friend putting on a, 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 English a joke. Accent. Yeah. yeah. Also different, different accent totally, but you know, it was tough to comprehend the words this woman was telling me. Yeah. Uh, so from then I, there, I did get an agent. She started shopping around this book and then we couldn't find a publisher. <laughs> it was good, but not good enough. Um, yeah. And then, of course, uh, from that, I did end up meeting some writer friends on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And one of them asked me if I could look over this self-help book she had written. And I realized that everything she, all of the 10 points she came up with were, in fact, scientifically um, provable, valid, mm-hmm. uh, you know, research, research, uh, I don't have the word, research proven. I got nothing here. Whatever. I could. You, I, I could know what you mean. Behind it. Yeah. We can also put information below <laughs> afterwards in the I, edit. I think people will understand. <laughs> um, and so I decided to ask her if she wanted a co-author because it was due to come out in September of my 42nd birthday. And I just, it felt like fate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the humorous story. It was due to come out in September. And then my co-author found out about the International Day of Happiness and managed to convince them to like endorse our book and we were like no you know what we're gonna wait till march for this to come out (laughs) Mm, man and then it came out to dead silence (laughs) well hopefully this will help go get finding happiness 10 10 steps to finding happiness right now I'm yep. sure it's on all sorts of different channels. It's on Amazon, we'll put, it's on Barnes and Noble, and we just came out with an ebook for those of you that you, like that. You know, like self development. You know, self help. You know, I I hate the stigma that's with it. Self help, like help as in a negative, like you need help. You can't do it yourself. You like it's self development. It's self improvement. Yeah. It's self care. Like that's what this is about. And and why I love the idea of this book is because more and more people can be happy with the job that they have. Can be happy with the life that they have. Not everyone has rolled the same opportunities, but I do believe you can make whatever uh, pie you get from the ingredients you have. Right, and yeah. some are, are very successful. That come from being homeless to to being beaten down as kids uh, to young adults and make it as in financially make it or above that really is happiness because I don't, I'm not rich. I'm in my daughter's bedroom filming this because she's the only one that has a desk in this house in this apartment. So Lily, if you saw, I see all like the colorful uh, drawings that she's done. It's very, very nice. It's, it's, you know, it's a nice office, but it's her bedroom. And so, but I'm, I'm so thrilled and happy to, be doing this and be talking to so many cool people like yourself. So it, it really comes down to that. So that's why I love like when you're talking about your story and sharing it, there's a lot of challenges yeah. that's come up, like uh, talking about releasing stuff at nine yeah. 11, releasing stuff at uh, the coronavirus people, like judgment. It, it, you've kind of hit it all. Yeah. If, yet, I were, if this were a fiction book, I would not have chosen this many twists and turns. Cause like, uh, it, it's annoying for the reader, I think. It's like, come on, how can all these things go wrong? Be a good, uh, good drama show. 
I don't know. I think it would be like a telenovela. We'd be like, yeah. no, stop that. That's not your brother, you know? <laughs> My girlfriend loves that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. But like, that's why more people, especially during this time, like if you're laid off, unfortunately, if, if you're laid off, or you're, you're looking for something to do, like, why not work on yourself? And why yeah. not do something? And, and, and I can see that you're still you're still here. Like, you're not only here to promote your book, but you're also here to share your experiences. I'm sure a lot of other women and men would share that circumstances better or worse, right? And, and, and will can relate to you in that way. And that's why it's so powerful. Like I, I, I can only empathize. I, I have a different experience, a different upbringing than yourself, but like, wow, like the, the I, I call it drive, but whatever you might call it is, is so, it's so there in you, you know? I, th- I appreciate that. I think I've always thought of it as a uh, freedom's just another word for, you know, nothing left to lose. There's my musical knowledge. Um, you know, I am. Um, yes, I am. Listen, I want to promote my book because I want people to buy it because I spent two years of my life writing it. And I want to feel like this wasn't, mm. you know, um, this book is not my swan song, but I think that right now we all could use this book and buy the ebook. It's cheaper and you don't have to worry about germs. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm, Get I, instantly. Like, I, I hate ebooks. I like the smell of a book. So um, that's right now I ordered a book on Amazon really quick. It's not coming until mid May. It's a month to get anything online. Perhaps like, you should try ordering my book or just ebooking it. Yeah, um, let's, but you let's know, the, go online right now. There you go. <laughs> the interesting thing about uh, writing this book was because it's myself, a co-author, and twenty-four expert writers. Mm-hmm. And um, somewhere in the middle of it, I started really thinking hard about how we define happy and why is happiness an expectation like why don't we believe that we have to work at it like we get that we have to work to make money fine Mm -hmm. but it's like no one ever told us we were told we should be happy but no one ever told us that we would have to work at it you know um you think perspective like falls into that like that i know that like for instance traveling I got a, a way better perspective and this is so cliche, but it's true. It's like seeing uh, how other people live and that they're so happy. Like I went to Africa for three weeks and it did it change my life. I now yeah. look at the world so differently and you do, and you, you have appreciation for water and food and all those sorts of stuff. Do you think perspective plays into I, this? You know, I think it's perspective. I think, and actually humorously going back to that first like psychobiology class I accidentally placed into, my mind always goes back to like the caveman, you know, like base human, like, you know, um, well, listen, I don't, I don't remember where they fall in that era system. I'm sure I've studied that with one of my kids recently, but um, what was happiness then? Happiness was safety. It was like no one trying to kill you, food, mm. and somewhere to sleep at night. And, uh, we've sort of forgotten that and now we have different expectations it's like when our kids tell us that they're bored i don't care go do something you know like i don't give a fuck if you're bored create something build something like we're big on we have an art room in our house and i'm big on like my son is very creative my daughter um is just less inclined she's more Mm -hmm. of like a theatrical dramatic occasional breath Mm -hmm. but (laughs) um but yeah i think we have this and that's what came up for me with this book is 
here are ways, 10 ways you can be happier. Er. But the first is you have to choose to be happy. And mm -hmm. choosing is an action and you have to make active choices. So none of our steps are like, I mean, every step, a step is an action. This requires something of you. And particularly now, given the corona and quarantine and um, a never ending mess of an action movie that we appear to live in, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it, it's, it requires action of you. Uh, two of my favorite steps, um, I, don't, I told you I don't like vision boards, but like we do have like journaling, gratitude journal and all that stuff or write something down every day that makes you happy. And if that's your thing and if you read The Secret and you liked it the first time, then read it in the incarnation of karma. Um, because really it's just ways of mentally reminding ourselves. Mm -hmm. But there's other things where if you try something new, mm. uh, synapses and neurotransmitters in your brain have to work to connect differently mm. in order for that we call it muscle memory when it's physical, mm -hmm. uh, when it's in our body. And there, it's, there's a similar gist when it's in your brain. And mm -hmm. so in order for those new connections to form, they're the uh, n like happy hormones, all the things we want medication to do for us or drugs or exercise or sex, you also get those when you start, when you try something new. It's your brain has to start firing them in order to make new connections, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Is that why we're so happy when we start something new? Yes. At least I feel like that. Yep. I feel like I'm like high off the world, you know? Yep, you are. Mm -hmm. You are. And also trying something new is also good for resiliency because whether you succeed or fail, you're exposed to an experience where afterwards it's okay that you either were good at it or were not good at it. And it makes you mm -hmm. more open to other experiences and to knowing that, uh, life doesn't end if you do something wrong mm. you know so this is a great time to try something new i should you know shameless plug read my book but like in all honesty <laughs> try something new like new. yeah you know? but it, it's so true like if i if i never tried to do what i'm doing right now i would never have figured it out that it was like awesome and so much fun and i could spend hours doing it so much that, so that my girlfriend's like, are you going to come out and see me? I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> right. I also have other things. Yes. But it, it, it's just the truth, right? And so many people, um, at least in my audience, have that issue, have that challenge of just, just starting. And it's hard. It's like, you know, you're not sure where, you're not sure what, you question yourself and then you don't even try, right? But yeah. the, the key, it looks like what, what you're saying too and what worked for me is I just, I just, did it like I there was no plan I just tried and then once you actually take that first step then you can look at okay what could be the next step what would be a better way of using this time or what have you yeah on my first two uh podcast episodes of the neurotic nourishment podcast are were recorded on my friend's phone like we literally were just talking about at the playground and then we had nothing to do and she came over and we like speaker phoned it and then like we saw someone we liked, we asked them to be a guest. And then like our second or third guest was like, Hey, do you guys know the word sound editing? And we did not. And like, you know, it, it evolved. And eventually um, my former co-host decided it wasn't for her. And I decided this was my voice. And I, I, I thrive off getting this experience. Um, and so, yes, it was trying something new. And um, this week I actually made the decision not to put out another episode because, I mean, an episode this week, although I have them, I just felt like 
it didn't feel genuine in terms of what was going on. Um, and I felt comfortable and that's new for me because I usually feel this pressure about, you know, putting on something new every week. Mm. Um, mm. And so that felt kind of good too. You know, mm. the other tip from our book that I really like is find your passion, find your purpose, which is exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I, again, couldn't agree more. Like I, I found that I'm the perfect example that I literally stumbled across this because I moved to Montreal from Vancouver, BC, West Coast to the East. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend had a camera and there was the opportunity right there. I was like, there's no excuse anymore. No excuse of all oh, camera equipment is expensive. It's competitive. I don't know what to do. I don't want to, I don't have the money for it. it she has it she she will be happy to lend it to me and i did and then like before you knew it just love it and researching about it and it's like a snowball effect once you find that passion that fulfillment right it it does it bring it brings me happiness sure i mean i listen i um i had already started writing my next book and then which was just going to be for teens and their parents to talk about suicide together. And then I stumbled across this story that it has just captured me and it's, you know, historical and it's, I want to make it historical and fiction and all this, you know, and it's this ridiculously overwhelming project, but I feel so passionate about it. Like, I don't mind if we're quarantined for another six months because that'll give me the time to do it as long as I get handcuffs and lock my kids up for like mm-hmm. half a day. But that's allowed, I think, during quarantine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In your book, is there, uh, so 10 steps, obviously we, you talked about a lot about like two, maybe uh, two, three, and maybe four steps. Is it uh, all of them psychological? Is there some like you have to physically go out and do something or is it more like you're at home writing it out as you said, journaling or vision board? I hate that shit. I hate all that shit. If I yeah. didn't make that clear. Yeah. It's mostly active things you can do. Okay. We, we call them concrete actions, although I fought for three months to find a cl- more clever name. And finally I gave up because I decided it wasn't worth fighting. And they literally are concrete actions. You know, it's not just in your head. It also has to do with the people you choose to remain in your life. You know? Because I found that. Like, I found some books are more hypothetical, maybe, is the word. But in your head. And I, I'm like you. I'm more of a, a doing learner. And so I need someone to like, if I'm reading that to say, okay, go and write out your thoughts, your feelings. And I will go, I will close the book and go do that. And that way I'm taking, instead of reading the full, cause I could read a book in one night, but then I'm not going to retain much out of that right. night. So I, I try, all right, here's the first step. Here's the first chapter. I'm going to make sure I understand it, do it perfectly and then move on to the next or, but a lot of the, some of the books I've read, I shouldn't say, I should say a lot of the books, the books that I've read are more like in your head, not so much action-based. Yeah, my, um, my co-author spends what I thought was like an absurdly long time discussing a notebook and like the type of notebook and how you pick a notebook and the colors. And, and I was just like, this is so boring. Can we just cut this down? But the truth is, there is something to say about writing and accountability. Um, she also has a lot of quotes in that book. So um, it's a lot of quotes. At one time, there were more quotes than there were pages in the book. So it's a struggle, but um, they're good quotes and they're inspirational quotes, but there's also at the end of, there's, there are concrete actions, you know, and they're like real easy things like go sing in the shower because singing 
is something you can do and it does it makes you feel better it releases those hormones it's you know Hmm. it's tough to be whether and it doesn't matter whether you're like let's say you're sad this isn't a okay go listen to a happy song this is a go listen to whatever makes you feel better because Hmm. sometimes listening to a sad song just makes you realize you're not alone you know um, i like that i like that tip i'm gonna do that tip because that's it's it's true when you're singing you're never like you're singing you're happy you're uh, yeah. you know you're you like the song and so it makes you feel a certain way yeah it's i like that and even like i have a lot of you know angsty uh you know suicidal teenagers and their parents are like oh they're always listening to sad music and so i researched it i was like is there a difference you know nope, there's no difference let them listen to what makes them feel good you know mm-hmm. or what like makes them feel less alone um, and so it could be as easy as singing, you know, obviously exercise, um, mm-hmm. and like tea, and these are the things we have to watch, you know, that we're getting enough of during this quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're really solid. And even the trying something new, thanks to technology, we can do that. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's a ton of online classes, both physical and mental and, um, artsy stuff and all of those things. So it's just about, now I'm really glad for the concrete actions, even though they say concrete actions. But um, mm-hmm. you know, there's also, for an issue of perspective, like you said before, um, one of my favorite pieces in the book is written by a um, dance and movement therapist who works in a pediatric palliative care unit. So she works with dying children. Um, and she talks about how she brings happiness to their lives and how this makes Wow. Yeah. And it was wow. really powerful. And there's a, you know, I also have a, um, an art therapist, a, um, a mindfulness expert. Like there's a lot of practical advice in there. Mm-hmm. And then there's also different people's perspectives who have been through things or redefined happiness or mm-hmm. um, things like that. So there is a lot, it's a, a lot of information and a lot of things that you should use a notebook for and not your, style not and not your phone or your computer because there's a different sort of learning that comes from writing Mm. like by hand because it's more automatic and so uh it sinks in in a different way Hmm. you know i'm thinking back to your point about the cavemen and how how or even earlier than that you said happiness you have to work on it just like work just like working out it, it it could almost be like a muscle that you have to work out to to be happy, have a happy yeah. life, and, and you're saying it right. It's it's journaling, it's singing in the shower, it's daily activities you do to make yourself happy. If that's dancing, drawing, listening to music in the shower, whatever you know, it could be a million of things. But do whatever is best for you to have that because when you're the happiest. Like right now, I, I'm like ecstatic. You know, I could have been tired all day, but now after this podcast, I'm gonna do something else, like crazy. You know, and I can and I can ride this high of happiness. And so, uh, I love that. I think you hit the nail on the head with this book. Um, I'm so sorry I launched during this time, but <laughs> there are of ways. Of launched, but I, this is me. Of course, it launched during this time. But you're doing, but you're doing well right now. Like you're, you're going on podcasts, you're doing, you're going online and you're letting people know about it. And, and it's like, you're, you're, your selfish ask 
you're giving a lot of value, right? You're, you're giving a lot of tips away right now in, of your sure. book. But, and that's what's what I love. Like, you know, if someone were to come on the show and only talk about that or try to just sell, 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 I probably wouldn't have them on the show, right? So yeah. it's w- with you and with all the guests I've had, it's always about bringing that value, trying to spread the happiness, right? And, and that's what I love about your story. You're laughing at the fact that I, I can't believe you live in a, what do you say, Nutella Nueva, right? Yeah, telenovela, yeah, literally, it's too many twists and turns, but it's true. Listen, I also, um, on Facebook, uh, mental health, damn, my husband named him, what is it called? Mental wellness consultants, mental wellness consultants. Like, I try to go on there once or twice a week and give like a 15 minute live on like, this is what to, you know, like how, how to deal with your kids during quarantine or how to do this or how to do that. I have a YouTube channel that I'm learning to use also. It's Dr. Lindsay Callen Wisner or something along those lines. And like, I'm trying to do the same thing because I do want to help people. I'm still seeing patients obviously. And that's nice too, but, um, uh, I'm happy to help wherever I can. Mm. Uh, I would like people to buy my book because I would like to write more books, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, but I don't think there's a number of books that like, I don't think there's a number small enough that would make me be like, I'm never writing a book again because, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the third time's gotta be the charm. There can't possibly be another like world ending catastrophe to s- Maybe there can. Who knows? But either way, I yeah. think I would do it a fourth time. It's something I we'll, love to. We'll cross our fingers. And yes. that's the that's the point. That's the whole idea and why I started this is because you know, sometimes people mistaken this as like, oh, I made it, you know. And and, and really what I'm trying to convey is people that I interview are still trying to make their goals a reality, whether they achieve them or not, they're going to have bigger and more ambiguous goals. Um, You know, doctor, some people are are successful entrepreneurs, but you know, success is so um, it's not one way, one definition, right? It's to your point, it's finding that happiness. Uh, Maybe it's having a balance between your family and your business. Maybe it's playing softball on the weekends. I don't know, but it, it, it's that's what this is about. It's making your dream, whether it be uh, podcasting, writing a book, happen. And you just have the best example of going through so much curveballs after curveballs. But you're gonna hit a home run. It's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna happen. Either gonna hit a, hit a home run or knock some kid in the stands in the head, and then be you know barred from ever playing again. <laughs> no, no. No, no, that that won't happen. That won't happen. You're gonna hit a home run, or at least hit. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know baseball enough to use this analogy. I was but... surprised that you went with baseball instead of something more Canadian. <laughs> I yeah, this analogy, I'm losing it. But you're gonna you're gonna hit it, and you're gonna hit the bases, and that's the whole point of life. Like, it's ups and downs. It's crazy, and there's no such thing as a linear, like non up and down life. It just doesn't doesn't exist. I agree. And it would be boring if it did. I think we wouldn't try as hard. Yeah. Someone said another guest that life is like your lifeline. Like when your heart is beating, that's your life. You don't want to be like this because then you're dead. You want to be like this. So a, valid, a weird, depressing, but valid point. Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, we're, we're coming up to the hour mark. Um, what do you have? Is there any last minute uh, thoughts in your mind that you want to say? Uh, a last tip, um, something, uh, maybe a call to action for our audiences to obviously buy this book, but do something different during this quarantine. Right. So uh, what's thought, your thoughts? You can follow me on Instagram at Psych Shrink Mom, or on Twitter, Twitter at Lindsay S. Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. But my real call to action is this. Um, I know that things will get better because they've gotten better before. We got through 9-11. Um, we've gotten through, uh, Hurricane Katrina. We got through, um, you know, not, I mean, I'm thinking locally, but, you know, we got through tsunamis. We've gotten through devastation and despair. We've gotten through all these things that seemed impossible at the time. So I know that we will get through this and you just have to believe it and keep it into perspective. Um, and I'm pretty sure, like, I think Bruce Willis might be too old, maybe Liam Neeson or... Someone cool will show up and drill a hole in the earth or, you know, plant a bomb on an asteroid or something. And until then, <laughs> just remember that we've gotten through shit just as bad as this beforehand. And it only feels as awful because we're going through it now. Mm -hmm. That's so true. So, and you don't think about those moments, right? You only think about the moment you live in. Ah, uh, and so many people that I know are, have, really really bad anxiety um and it's it's hard like i you know it, it is scary but it's like i i feel like they're self-destructing a little bit and it's but it's hard to go through it's funny i a lot of my patients with uh, with severe anxiety the first week they were just chuckling they're like everyone else feels like i do now it's great it's like being understood and so i thought that was a funny <laughs> That is funny. You know, I, I think that's perspective. I think the more you read, the more you understand how the, the world globally works, that you interview people like this and you understand people's stories, you get perspective. And now I have your perspective of life. So when next time someone cuts me off at Starbucks, I'm not going to mouth them off as much as I normally would. I'm gonna have, <laughs> I'll have a better, you know, appreciation that the fact that I can go out and do that. And some people are scared to go outside, you know? Um, yeah. That's such a cool message. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was amazing to get to know you uh, again and to hear about your amazing stories. I wish you the best of luck with your book. Um, I will put uh, all your contact information either below or in the description. Um, and again, this is the Making Up Podcast with the amazing Lindsay. Thank you so much. Thank I'm Kyler Miles, and we're signing off. <laughs>